0: Welcome to PMA Takes on Tech, the podcast that explores the problems, solutions, people, and ideas that are shaping the future of the produce industry. I'm your host, Bonnie Estes, Vice President of Technology for the Produce Marketing Association, and I've spent years in the ag tech sector. So I can attest, it's hard to navigate this ever-changing world in developing and adopting new solutions to industry problems. Thanks for joining us and for allowing us to serve as your guide to the new world of produce and technology. My goal of the podcast is to outline a problem in the produce industry and then discuss several possible solutions that can be deployed today. Today's podcast is powered by our sponsor, AgriFresh. AgriFresh is a global leader and ag tech innovator in the produce industry with a mission to prevent food loss and waste and to conserve the planet's resources by providing a range of science-based solutions, data-driven technologies, and high-touch customer services. AgriFresh supports growers, packers and retailers with solutions across the food supply chain to enhance the quality and extend the shelf life of fresh produce. With decades of experience across a range of crops, AgriFresh is powered by a comprehensive portfolio that includes proprietary solutions such as plant-based coatings as well as a complete line of packer equipment that helps improve the freshness supply chain from harvest to home. Visit agrifresh.com to learn more. AgriFresh, we grow confidence. Today, we will hear a recording of a fireside chat I had with Nate Storey, the Chief Science Officer of Plenty at the 16th Annual Canadian Summit on Food Safety 2021. At the end of the conversation, you will hear a Q&A that I think you will find interesting and was worth leaving in. We will talk about food safety at plenty and in the cea space when indoor ag was first getting going years ago many companies not saying plenty was one of them positioned indoor ag as us versus them them being outdoor growers and that indoor was better on many dimensions, food safety being one of the big ones. Plenty and most of the other indoor companies talk now about growing the pie, that producing more fruits and vegetables in different ways is better for everyone, indoor and out. Nate talks about the problems both sectors face in transparency, technology adoption, and labor. Let's jump into this very candid discussion about food safety and technology.
1: My name is nate story and um, i'm one of the co-founders at plenty plenty is an indoor farming company so we grow food indoors under artificial light these are in, in, in big warehouses basically and we're able to condense a lot of production into a very uh small amount of space so we, we got started because we felt like um like we needed to grow the world's capacity to grow fresh fruits and vegetables you know in the united states we're incredibly blessed we have a lot of farmland. We have a lot of agricultural capacity. Other parts of the world are not not quite as fortunate. And um, as we start to think about a global population that's much larger than it is today, uh, the need for fresh fruits and vegetables is only going to grow. Um, but the capacity that we have today, you know, running full bore, 100% uh, for the next uh, you know decade, decades, won't be able to to keep up with that demand. So um, that's, that's why we started Plenty, uh, to meet that demand with this new source of, of supply. So, um, yeah, so, uh, you know, our farms are, are very large. They, uh, you know, we're growing on, on these vertical planes. It looks kind of like, um, you know, you took a field and you stood it on its edge and put another field uh, back to back with it. And, um, you know, these are very big, very complex uh, farms, uh, but they're, they're pretty awesome. They allow us to control everything Uh, The environment is completely controlled. Our day length is controlled. Nutrients. uh, We're able to exclude pests. uh, We're able to collect a lot of data, um, you know, uh, in keeping with the theme of of these conversations. And we're able to understand a lot about plant growth uh, in our systems and produce a product that's really, really pretty great day in and day out. So we we produce that product and and we sell it. And people get the same thing every single day when they buy a, a plenty product.
0: And which, what are you growing? Let people know, like, what what crops are you growing now and what crops are you planning on growing um, in the next couple of years?
1: Yeah, so right now we're mostly focused on uh, leafy greens. Uh, most folks in the space start with leafy greens um, because, um, you know, they, they feel like an easy crop to grow. You're focusing on that primary production. And... Um, Uh, but we have been working very hard on strawberries. We've got a a partnership with Driscoll's developing uh, strawberries for indoor production. We've been working very hard on on tomatoes. We've got a few other crops like raspberries and a few other things in the works. So I anticipate we're going to be taking a lot of new crops to the world over the next few years.
0: And how many farms do you have now?
1: So uh, right now we have three farming sites. So we have basically our R&D farm. This is our advanced research facility in Laramie, Wyoming. And there we have around 50 discrete environments that we use for uh, plant research. Um, You know, these are relatively small production spaces, but other people call them farms. I think uh, we'll just just call the whole complex a farm site. We've got the South (laughs) San Francisco farm, which is our pilot. Uh, And we're growing there in South San Francisco and distributing uh, to a number of stores throughout the Bay Area. And we're currently in the process of building the Compton Farm, which is, um, you know, kind of the the first instance of this very, very large farm. Um, It's also probably the smallest farm we'll ever build.
0: Oh, interesting. And when are you projecting that will be completed in Compton?
1: We'll be finishing that up uh, towards the end of this year and bringing it online. Great.
0: So this conference is about food safety. Um, How do you think about food safety in Plenty?
1: Yeah. um, You know, food safety is something that we spend a lot of time and and money and attention on. Um, I think, uh, you know, it's become one of these things, which is uh, one of these top concerns for consumers. You know, when they buy product, um, you know, it used to be the assumption is this is a safe product. I think that um, that's still generally true. But, you know, there's been a lot of food safety recalls. There's been a lot of kind of things in the news lately that I think have people questioning safety. And so, um, you know, at, at plenty, this is, we we recognize that that's like one of the most important things that we can be, be focused on. I will say, you know, we've got a fundamentally different kind of problem compared to folks who are growing in an uncontrolled environment. So, you know, you look at a lot of the food safety recalls of the last few years, and a lot of them, you know, um, (laughs) you know, uh, had nothing to do with, with best practices in some instances right? Or they're totally uncontrolled, um, uncontrolled things, right? You've got a wild boar that walks through a field, um, and poops, right? Like how do you, how do you control for that? So, um, you know, plenty, we, we have a very different scenario we can't have a wild, a wild boar can't walk through our farm, right? Because it is inside of a building, it's locked. People are using key cards to get in and out of the farm. They're, they're gowned up from head to toe. We're able to practice really, um, really, uh, excellent exclusion practices. So keeping pests and pathogens out altogether. Um, but you know, uh so I guess all of that to say, like, you know, it's a very different problem that we have to solve compared to someone who's say trying to grow in the field and trying to keep wild boars out. Right. So um all of that to say, you know, we think a lot about prevention and risk management, sanitization, exclusion, cleanliness, like all of the components that keep our produce uh, very, very clean. Uh, You know, human hands don't touch this stuff um, because we've automated many of our processes in an effort to kind of eliminate all of the potential um, points of contamination in the growing and processing process. Um, You know, we practice really good traceability so that if something ever does go wrong, uh, we know where and how. Um, And then we've got, you know, testing and analysis. That's quite aggressive, and I guess the thing that I'd say there is, um, you know, testing is getting a lot better, um, but testing and traceability go hand in hand. You know, because you don't want to be using traceability to diagnose, uh, to try and find the source of a problem that's exposed by food your consumers are eating. You want to be testing uh, really aggressively, hand in hand with traceability, so that uh, you can catch anything before it ever before it ever occurs. And um, I guess the last thing I'd add is, you know, again, in in keeping with this idea that we've got a very different, in some ways, a much simpler problem to solve, um, you know, our our supply chain is not complicated. Um, There aren't a whole lot of handoffs, right? So traceability is, traceability can be hard when you've got lots and lots of handoffs, when there's a lot of, uh, when produce is changing hands, um, you know, 14 times in some instances, if you're a field grower. You know, uh, for us, we we drive it directly to the distribution center, um, or directly to the store, and it's a single handoff. So traceability for us is much simpler. It has more to do with process steps than it does to do with, um, you know, who 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 had it, provenance, right? Who had it at this point in the in the um, in the process. Do you
0: think that's gonna get more complicated as you get bigger and you have more farms? Will there, is that gonna become more complex and, and how will you deal with that?
1: Um, I mean, I think managing those farms becomes more complex and the number of instances grows because we ha- now have more farms. But as far as the actual process, the process itself doesn't get more complex. So um, if you think about it this way, if, if I was a, if I was growing in a field and I had a, a farm in California, and I'm managing multiple fields. But we're kind of aggregating all of that produce at the packing, uh, you know, at the packing stage, and then shipping it out. And it kind of changes hands half a dozen times across half a dozen different, um, half a dozen different, uh, you know, um, retailers, and and ends up, you know, in stores kind of all over the U.S. Uh, that's that's still quite complicated. Whereas with the Plenty farms, because we're very close generally relatively close to the distribution centers, uh, you know, each farm is going to be servicing certain distribution centers, certain stores. So when you look at kind of like the nodes, if you're to diagram it out, you know, the farm, the distribution center, distribution center to stores, you know, compared to, you know, the, the, the insane logistics problems that many of the field growers have to manage, it's a hard, hard problem. Um, you know our problems are are relatively simple. Um, there's just not that many um, exchanges, right? There's not that many transactions.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. Um, are there any problems that, that the um, Plenty or anyone else that's in kind of controlled environment ag has around food safety that are different than outside? Like, are there problems that are more unique to CEA growing around food safety?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think, um, it's, if, if there are, they're, they're more, uh, they're more around process steps, but even then I think, um, I don't think that indoor necessarily has, um, any more or any less problems. I think that's simplification of kind of the, the, the idea of of how pathogens could get into the system. Like everyone has to be vigilant, uh, vigilant. Everyone has to be really careful. Uh, the difference is the simplicity of the system, right, and the ability to measure. So uh, I think if there's one thing that's probably true for indoor growers, um, or plenty at least, is we tend to over-index on testing. So because we have this super tight contained uh, facility, because we have these, really, um, these uh, really well-defined process steps, we're able to test with more frequency, And, and, and more often, and you're like, one of the drawbacks of testing is that you learn things, right? (laughs) You you actually, you actually have to do something with that data. And so, um, you know, I think the reality is like, we, we just have a much more granular view of say the microbiology of the system. And, um, even in systems that are super sterile, there's always a microbiome, like no matter what, you know, germ theory, everything is everywhere. Right. And, um, the reality is that no matter where you go, no matter what kind of a system you're working with, there will always be uh, a microbiology. So we just need to make sure it's the right microbiology. You know, is it safe? Is it a good microbiology? And um, and so uh, all of that to say, you know, I think, you know, for a lot of field growers, the, the testing equipment just doesn't exist to engage in the kind of testing that we can engage in. in a controlled facility with a lab on site, right, like it's different it's a different scenario. Um, and I think that lack of information in the field is both represents a risk uh, in terms of, um, you know, not necessarily always knowing what is in or on uh, your product. Um, it also mitigates the risk in, uh, of, of knowing um, <laughs> and, and having to respond to it. Right. Um, in ways right. that that uh, you know, we just we just don't have enough historical data to understand how we balance our reaction to some of these things in the field. So uh, oftentimes, you know, we end up with these scenarios where it lands on a shelf and someone gets sick and then they do a bunch of testing and then we've got a big recall on our hands. And that's that's probably um, that's definitely worse in the long run than testing in the field and understanding, you know, what's going on and just holding stuff back. So. So
0: what did you have to do? Like, I hadn't even thought of this, that because your ability to constantly test um, and you're able to to see things at a much lower level and to follow them through, what did you have to learn? And and was there anybody else doing that research or did you just have to build this whole body of research yourself of really understanding what's, you know, we've never seen this pathogen or this microorganism. It's not necessarily a pathogen, maybe a pathogen to the plant, but, you know, just that whole body of knowledge probably didn't exist before you started looking, right?
1: Yeah. I mean, so people have been doing research on, you know, the microbiology of hydroponic systems for a Mm -hmm. while. That being said, um, you know, every little ecosystem is different, you know, no two are alike. Uh, they can be the exact same system side by side, and they might have a slightly different microbiology. So, um, you know, some, some existed and it was helpful in a very broad sense and unhelpful in a, in a, in a narrow sense. So, you know, there's just a lot that we have to learn about our farms, right. How they behave, how they work. And, um, you know, uh, they're very safe, you know, uh, they're, they're, they're very safe in terms of, you know, the, the microbiology that we have, um, they tend to be, you know, um, closer to the sterile end of the spectrum than the super diverse into the spectrum. And, you know, that's frankly, uh, the way we want it. Um, you know, we clean the floors, we sterilize the equipment, we, you know, uh, between harvests, right. Like we're, we're, we're sterilizing everything. So, um, that, that's how we want it. That's not necessarily to say that it's a good or a bad thing. That's just the management that we approach that we've taken and, um, learning how that impacts, Uh, food safety, learning how that impacts the microbiology of the system has been quite the learning process for us. Um, But it is we are fortunate to have a system that allows us to collect data constantly, test constantly, and really keep tabs on the system microbiology, as opposed to kind of more of the black box approach that, that, uh, frankly, we're stuck with in a lot of other production systems.
0: And you have everything all in one place too, which has got to be a big advantage. So you're, you're growing and any, any processing, any packaging, anything, you know, it's not moving across town or it doesn't have to go through a bunch of different steps. And so that control has got to be a huge advantage from a food safety point of view as well.
1: Yeah. I mean, again, just going back to this, this concept of simplification, right? It's like when you, when you simplify the problem, there's only say two transactions, rather than 15 transactions, the number of places where something can go wrong or the number of points where there can be contamination or the number of processes to audit or what have you, right? It's it's just, it's a fraction. It's a fraction uh, of, of what it is otherwise. So we just have a simpler problem.
0: Yeah. So, moving, you've talked a little bit about traceability. Um, so, let's move a little bit about traceability and and data. So, how can traceability and enhanced data transparency make the CEA sector responsive to more responsive to food safety concerns?
1: Yeah, um, that that that's a good question. I mean, I think the think the, the thing to point out about traceability is, um, you know, traceability um, traceability uh, is typically used. To, to try and understand where a problem happened after the fact, right? It's kind of, it's kind of like the police, right? They, they show up after the crime has been committed. Uh, if you're the person getting robbed, uh, the, the, the the cops aren't that helpful in that moment, right? And so uh, trace, traceability is kind of the same way. You know, usually something something has happened, and, um, you know, we've got a recall, we've got something on our hands, and we've got to go back and figure out in, in, in the produce industry, right? So, um at Plenty, we've kind of taken a little bit of a different approach and we've said, you know, traceability, traceability is very helpful um, in terms of food safety, yes, um, and always managing our food safety. Uh, but it's also very helpful um, at managing our system and our system efficiency. So for us, traceability is as much about um, system efficiency and material management uh, as it is about human uh, health and safety. And, um, you know, I think the the thing to point out there is in most systems, um, traceability, again, is kind of something that's helpful generally after the fact. Um, At at plenty, because we're able to pair it with this testing, right, Um, constant testing, just constant, constant, constant testing, Uh, it becomes a tool for really rapid diagnoses if we see something that's you know weird or off, or if we see a shift in system microbiology or if we see ATP counts go up somewhere, right? So we basically have a unique uh, opportunity to leverage uh, traceability. And um, the other thing that I'd say is, you know, um, we've simplified the traceability problem at, at plenty with our architecture, right So it's not like we're coming into an existing system that's already complex trying to bring a, a, a traceability system to try and understand the super complicated thing. Uh, we basically just said, hey, what's the more simple form? Right? How do we get to a more simple form? And that doesn't make the traceability obsolete, per se, but it does make it uh, maybe a little less critical to understanding the system, right? because the system is just more understandable. It is simple. Mm-hmm. There's only a couple of transactions there. Um, so, I mean, I, I guess you know, that, that's how I would, I would describe you know, our approach to traceability. I, uh, you know, Consumers want honesty, consumers want transparency, consumers want to know that their food is safe. And um, you know, I think we've used labels for a very long time to try and communicate those things, but I see a world in the future where consumers wanna be able to scan a barcode and see uh, how the product was grown, scan a barcode and see who grew it, where it was grown, how it was handed off, whether or not it was cold chain compliant or not, you know, like they, I, I see a future where people want to be able to take more of a a firsthand, uh, you know, approach to auditing, uh, the food that they eat. Um, I don't think that's everyone, but I think that's an occasional, occasional thing that people want, you know, and in a world where we're moving towards more transparency, I'd bet on it, uh, rather than, than, than bet against it. So regardless of the system that folks are using to produce, you know, traceability is something they should be investing in. I will also say, you know, the fact that we have um, some of the food safety incidents on the rise, I think, in my opinion, indicates we need uh, to invest in more testing as well. So in the same vein as like uh, pairing testing and traceability, uh, you know, for field producers, that's something that we need is rapid, um, you know, modular testing.
0: Mm -hmm. So we've been in a huge time of disruption with COVID, and then some regulatory changes. How can data make the CEA sector more resilient in these times of disru- disruption?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. I think um, I think there's a lot of things that we can learn from like the last year and a half as it relates to um, as it relates to resiliency and the and the food supply system. Um, some of those things have to do with things like traceability and data, uh, knowing what is where, right? Um, there were all sorts of logistics breakdowns the last year. And um, a lot of that is, is a data problem. Um, a lot of that was a labor problem, right? In some places, we just didn't have the people. So investing in more autonomous uh, systems or systems that, that can basically function in the absence of, of uh, you know, human supervisors, that's, that's important. Um, And then location, you know, so at Plenty, you know, our goal has been to kind of solve these by putting farms close to distribution centers, minimizing the amount of labor, minimizing the amount of uh, complexity that can that can interfere with us, handing growing the product and then handing it directly off to the retailer. And then they hand it off directly to the consumer. Like that's the simplest possible process. Right. And so, um, you know, when we think about resilient food systems, I think it's important to think about simple food systems. Could mm-hmm. we really just make these super complex things a little bit less complicated, and um, reduce the number of dependencies in the system? So, if we're dependent on on uh, you know constant labor prices and constant labor supply, that's probably uh, <laughs> that's that's not a that's not a good bet, um, you know, looking forward. Um, the other thing, you know, I think. Uh, really changed was, you know, consumers started to think about their health and they started to think about their safety. And maybe they're thinking about it through the lens of COVID, but I think that it's going to transfer um, to the things that people choose to put in their bodies, right? to, to the food that they eat. And, um, you know, as people moved home, we, like we saw it in our sales, like our sales went through the roof, right? As people started staying home, they started cooking for themselves, they started investing in, in healthy food and um, I think you know, traceability, understanding what, uh, what they're eating, who grew it, where, grew it, where it came from, is an important part of that decision-making process for some folks. And certainly the folks that are the advocates, right? The folks that are quite vocal and the folks that are really involved um, with promoting uh, fresh uh, fruits and vegetables, fresh healthy food. So, um, so I think um, you know, consumer behavior is, is kind of another thing to consider here. And uh, the speed of change in that behavior. You know, a lot of things happened overnight um, with COVID. And I think uh, we need to get used to kind of consumer demands for change, consumer demands for things being something that we have to have to respond to. So when we think about data systems and how flexible they are, responsive they are, how we're able to audit uh, you know where something was and who was touching it and and who handed it off um, you know that's that's another thing to keep in mind looking forward um, so I, all of that to say that's kind of just like a long ramble there you know like we have this tendency as humans to to engage in this additive improvement right so we're like oh we've got to figure out how to make the system safer let's add things to it And um, what that results in is a super complex system. And it gets to the point where we just kind of hold out this hope, oh, machine learning AI is going to come in and solve this problem for us, right? It's too complicated for humans now. Um, And and maybe the question should be, uh, does it need to be too complicated for humans, right? At at its core, do we really need to make this thing so complex that we need insanely complex computer programs to actually help us understand it? Um, And I think the, the answer at plenty is no. Um, as we start to think about how we grow the world's capacity to grow fresh fruits and vegetables, I think we can grow that capacity with a simpler system, with a simple, uh, with a system that empowers producers, empowers consumers, and, and really makes it something that's understandable.
0: Yeah, those are some a bunch of different great points. I think certainly around uh, consumers it's very important and we, you know, at PMA we've seen a, a lot of changes in consumers and how they want to get their food and how they think about their food and I know for myself personally in the beginning of COVID where you know, we went to the grocery store a lot less frequently, um, just the decision of what do you buy because I'm not going to be able to, I'm not coming back for 10 more days. And so those types of behaviors and and looking at how long will this lettuce last in my refrigerator or how long will the strawberry last in my refrigerator. And so I think those just those types of changes in behavior and people wanting to buy online and have it delivered. um. We saw an ability to really be able to react to those types of things, and and uh, I think that made for a lot more resilience. And at the same time, a lot of un- consumers really got to see what does our supply chain look like. You know, when there was people plowing onions back in in the field because they couldn't go to food service or milk being dumped. Um, I think that really highlighted to a lot of consumers, you know, what our supply chain looks like and how important it is on food. Yeah. Yeah,
1: and we're all really kind of uh, you know in in the hands of these complicated logistics, right? And and you know anyone could pr- produce or could be the victim. Yeah. Uh, any any group of consumers could be the victim, right? Of inefficiencies that that jump out.
0: So. Yeah. So what technology do you see still needs to be developed to decrease the number of food safety recalls in produce? And this can be um, indoor or outdoor grown. Just what do you think we should be working on, you know, from a technology point of view to to solve this
1: better? Yeah. I mean, I think think for me, um, there's probably three things that, that matter, uh, the most. And, um, you know, I, uh, I, I, harp on this with my teams a lot, right. You have to make something easier. People won't do it. You have to make it easier, or people take shortcuts and, um, and, and do it wrong, or they'll figure out some way to cheat the system to make it easier. Um, so, you know, human beings are always optimizing for, uh, you know, conservation of energy. So mm-hmm. I think, um, I think you know. Number one is testing, and I'm still amazed at the lack of really effective testing for 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 pathogens uh, that exists. Um, so you know,
0: on-site type testing.
1: On-site, that's yeah. right, in the field. So starting in the field, right? It's like again, traceability. Traceability is fine. Traceability is great, but it just tells you what is. Um, and it usually after the fact, and so, um, or it tells you where something was, it doesn't necessarily tell you the state of the product at, at, you know, at that position in the supply chain. So, you know, when we think about, you know, the fundamental problem here, it's like, no one, no one knows whether there's pathogens on the product or not until kind of late in the game. And so, um, you know, with, if we had modular testing, that could go to the field that could be very effective, you know, that, that would be awesome. We at plenty. We've got the advantage of we've got a lab on site, right? Like we have the lab in the field, if you will. Um, and I think, you know, for us that that is, um, that's, that's awesome. It means we can do that rapid, uh, testing. It means that we can understand what is true, uh, you know, and, and we can walk anywhere in the farm and tell you what the, the, the state of that product is. But for the field, you know, um, which needs to keep producing to meet demand, testing is so, so important. And there just aren't any great solutions today that are rapid, modular and and really effective. And then, you know, second on traceability, like this is just a super simple thing, but, you know, uh, automated data entry just, you know, figure out ways to make data entry automated, fast, effective, easy for people. And the folks, especially who are in the field, you know, that's the last thing that they want to think about, uh, make it easy. So, you know, uh, this is technology that already exists at RFID tags, uh, barcodes, the systems around managing and, and tracking uh, things. And then I think lastly, you know, um, integrated data systems. So, Getting people to share their data and, and building data systems that, that transfer, you know, the folks before we're talking about blockchain, but, you know, the, these ways of, of um, you know, understanding uh, where something uh, came from in a way that's integrated retailers, producers, uh, everyone.
0: So these aren't Nobel prize level technology discoveries. They, these are mostly adoption and just paying attention to to putting solutions together that people can use, right?
1: These these are not sexy.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's the that's the area that people don't want to invest in. I'm afraid, but um, yeah. Well, I think we have some questions from the audience, right, Beth? Were you yeah. Those, yeah. Okay, we do. So uh,
2: the first question comes in from Sean Moore, who asked, "What forms of technology does Plenty use today?"
1: Oh, that's a that's a really big question. <laughs> um, I mean, uh, we're a technology company, and so um, there are a lot of technologies that we use. That uh, that we don't work on. So think industrial robots, uh, industrial controls, that kind of thing. Um, there's a lot of technology that we've developed because it's either uh, something the market didn't provide or couldn't provide for our uh, specific application. So these are things like, you know, um, I would say our growing technology, vertical towers, and the conveyance systems, and kind of just the way that we manage things. The architecture itself of the farm we have you know, lighting systems uh, that we've designed, HVAC systems, air management, environmental management systems. Um, we have, uh, you know, nutrient and fluids control systems. Then we have kind of uh, genetics, which uh, I conti- uh, consider technology, um, you know, proprietary genet- techn- uh, genetics that we've paired to match with those environmental technologies. And then on top of genetics, you know, there's a classic GEM, right? We've layered all of these management technologies that we've developed in order to help make sure that that match of genetics and environment is perfect. So farm OS, sensor and sensing systems. Um, you know, uh, we're using machine learning and AI in some instances. Um, you know, data data management, storage, data pipeline, and um, and that kind of thing. So, you know, uh, everything from the hardware to the software, and then the 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 plant software of, 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 genetics.
2: That's a lot. <laughs> the, uh, keeps it, keeps everything moving. That's for sure. Um, so another question, uh, came in, how often, uh, do you use pesticides in CEA? Is it needs based only or preventive as well?
1: Yeah, plenty. We don't use pesticides on our crops. Um, Again, you know, just kind of going back to this concept of simplicity, I know that's not true for all producers, but uh, for plenty it is, you know, going back to this concept of simplicity, right? If you can keep the pests out of the farm, um, then, you know, then you have a much lessened likelihood of of having to use pesticides, right? And then um, if you go like we do, our, our production cycle is all of about 12 days. And so, you know, there are very few pests and pathogens that can keep up with those types of, you know, we, we just outstrip the life cycle of most, most of our insect pests, you know, we don't have weeds. So all we're left with is like fungal and bacterial pathogens and those we control with air filtration and fluids filtration. Right. And so kind of, um, we can manage all of the different, uh, risks to our crops with with means other uh, than, than pesticides or insecticides.
2: Awesome. Thank you. Uh, next question is, are you having a challenge finding enough of the right people to fill this roles at Plenty? Are you partnering with any university programs to ensure the skills needed in the future to allow other companies to get on the indoor farming um, bandwagon or idea concept here?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think the answer to that is yes. And I think, um, you know, there are a lot of young, talented, amazing people that are lined up to kind of work at these, these places. Um, you know, the job market right now is particularly tough. Uh, so yeah, I mean, it could always use more. I'd say that the place where we've, we've historically really struggled is to bring in really great mature growers who've had experiences in kind of traditional industry You know, the reality is ag tech is tough because you um, you have agricultural problems um, and you have, uh, you know, this, this partner in a much more conservative, established industry. And so getting good growers through the door who can come in and have an open mind and like engage with you on new technology is a pretty tough thing. Um, most growers tend to be more conservative in their, their outlook and their approach on uh, technology and um, getting their engagement has been hard. But we're, we're, we're slowly getting there as people start to realize we're a real thing and we're going to be around for a while. Uh, we're getting a little bit more of a response. So. I
2: was going to ask you if, it, if it's changing over time and you're seeing, you're seeing more of an understanding and acceptance of, of new ways.
1: It, it is. It's it's slowly getting there. We just keep putting out this message, you know, it's like we're not here to replace the field. We're here, here to to build agricultural capacity on top of the field. You know, everyone has to produce. There's no one in the world who can slack off here for the next 50, 60 years. You know, um, the population of this planet, the rising middle class, none of those things allows anyone to take a break. So um, there's good job security in ag moving forward. And um, I think as people start to realize this isn't like a competitive thing where we're going into to you know to take out the field growers and they're they're not we're not compete we're not competing uh, as people start to realize that they realize oh well maybe there's an opportunity here for more collaboration maybe these maybe uh, we can share people and share ideas and 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 uh, do better together so we're getting there
2: what, and in, in, um, one question that comes to my mind, too, is, um, you know, domestically versus internationally. So is there more or less interest in, um, you know, particularly in the EU or in other countries? Um, what What's the difference that, that you might be seeing relative to interest in uh, domestically versus internationally?
1: Yeah, I mean, there's, there is, um, you know, there are massive differences, some of which are cultural, some of which are kind of societal. Um, some of which have, you know, are, are a direct result of like the pattern of development in that area. So, you know, when we, when we look across the world, there's, there's interest from everywhere, right? Like the reality is that, um, you know, the, the world's supply of fresh fruits and vegetables can't keep up with demand. Um, that, 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 is, that is a fact. And um, people are not consuming enough um, fresh fruits and vegetables. And so when we think about what we have to do, we've got to triple uh, the current supply of fresh fruits and vegetables in order to meet that, that, that need, uh, how are we going to do that? Right. And I think everyone's wrapping their heads around that. Obviously some places in the world are way ahead of, um, you know, us, you know, where, where we have plenty of agricultural capacity, you know, you go to Saudi Arabia, you go to Shanghai, China, you go to, you know, Singapore, and they're thinking about food security constantly because they don't have our capacity. And um, so for them, this is like a no brainer, right? It just makes perfect sense. And um, so I think, uh, you know, there, there are areas of the world that are going to adopt this very, very quickly. And they're going to be areas of the world that are, that are slower um, simply because there's less pressure on them from a supply standpoint.
0: I think what we're going to see moving forward is a blurring of the lines between indoor and outdoor. We are already seeing partnerships like Plenty and Driscoll's, for example, between outdoor companies and indoor companies. They are both ways to produce food with their own sets of benefits and challenges, which vary by growing regions and crop. We will see growers produce food in ways that are best for them in terms of labor, water, availability, and markets. That's it for this episode of PMA Takes on Tech. Thanks for allowing us to serve as your guide to the new world of produce and technology. Be sure to check out all our episodes at pma.com and wherever you get your podcasts. Please subscribe. And I would love to get any comments or suggestions of what you might want me to take on. For now, stay safe, eat your fruits and vegetables, and we will see you next time.